Hello and welcome to another episode of Cinema Buns, where the only thing sweeter than the movies we watch are those that are listening. Um, I'm Jonah Colazzo. Did you like that introduction? I realized for the ooh, better part of a year, year and a half, I realized I've been saying that wrong. Yeah. The idea of me saying, oh, the only thing sweeter than you, the listeners, are the movies we watch, kind of makes you sound less than the movies we watch. I don't know. All I wanted to do was correct it uh, and make sure that you, the listeners, are the most important thing. Um, I don't know. I've been I've been sitting on that for a while now, and I just realized that I, I need to correct it. Um, so if you like that, fantastic. If you don't, we could go back if you like, or you know what? Drop us a comment. Tell us what you want us to be saying in the beginning of this, if you liked it or not. Um, we'll tweak it. We'll, we'll tweak it. Uh, I know Hoover's going to be texting me soon. Uh, I don't know about this, but he, he might he might have an opinion. He might have an opinion. Um, but as you can hear, Hoover is not here. Um, as you can hear, Hoover is not here. Yeah. Um, it is just I. It is just we, uh, the listeners and me. Um. Yeah, we are just going to be doing a little solo mission today. Um, but what we are talking about, we're talking uh, Wes Anderson's new debut, um, Asteroid City. Uh, was it good? Was it bad? Was it Wes Anderson? We'll find out. You know what? We're going to find out. Um, but as usual, we like to talk about a segment called oh, What's Viewed? By me and you, where, you know what, we like to talk about all the things we've seen over the past week. Um, I have a handful of things that I have seen, not this past week, but the week prior that I just never got to explain and um, never got to say my opinion on. Uh, so I have that and I have a couple of things that I just recently watched. Um, <clears throat> all right, what have I watched? Uh, the Boogeyman, The Boogeyman. I watched The Boogeyman um, and uh, I... F- I actually really, really liked it. Um, I don't know how well or how uh, accepting everybody is of this movie, but for me, I thought it was one of the most fantastic uses of fear. And uh, the way it makes you feel like... The way it manages to put you in the shoes of the characters, especially the younger daughter um, in in the movie. I forget her name. Um, and, and the way it manages to make you feel the way that they might be feeling in this situation was fantastic. Um, I like the use of how the, the boogeyman could be a, a a symbol or a metaphor for the grief that the family is feeling. Um, I like that, and the fact that that it kind of almost feeds off of it. it it's it was pitch perfect on how well this character, this boogeyman character, uh, really works, and 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 I thought it was really fantastic on how it it, it manages to apply both half of the lives of these characters, you know, the half that is has to deal with the world before the boogeyman and the half that has to deal with it now really nicely bleeds together. And I think that's a really important um, part of the movie that, that I think shines very, very well. Um, 
Sophie Thatcher, um, who plays, I believe, I believe that's her name from that plays the adult or not the adult, but the older sister. Um, really fantastic. Um, I know that both the daughters were uh, Star Wars alum. Um, the youngest one playing the younger version of Princess Leia in the Obi Wan Kenobi show, and Sophie Thatcher was a character that I was I think very small. I think she was like a a, a motor like a motorbike gang <laughs> on tattooing in the book of Boba Fett. Uh, like in, in like the, the ones that would like tinker and they have like half body parts of that are machine. Um, she was one of those characters. I know that for sure. Um, both of them fantastic performances. Uh, Sophie Thatcher herself though, carries a lot of this movie and it doesn't. And, and it, not that it doesn't feel, um, like surprisingly, whoa! Like she can act, but it's it, it's more of the fact that I have not seen her in a lot of things, and so for her to come out of nowhere, and at least for me, it feels like she came out of nowhere and gave such a solid performance, and manages to convey the internal pain and the external fear. It, it, it was beautiful. It was actually really, really beautiful, and, and I really like. Give her a, a, a hand for for how well she conveys that. Um, I thought the overall movie was fantastic, and I think it's going to be one of those like sleeper hits. Uh, I, for one, thought maybe it was somehow related to the like two thousand and four movie, The Boogeyman, uh, that wasn't all that great. I I don't know why I thought maybe it was related to that, and so I wonder how many people maybe think the same way, and maybe aren't going to go watch it because i don't know i haven't really heard much since i watched it anybody saying nay or yay about it uh which makes me feel like i maybe no one really went to go watch this movie um and it sucks because you know what you're missing out on a pretty good horror movie um that utilizes its fear and horror aspects very very well so that is boogeyman that i watched it Fantastic. I absolutely liked it. Um, Transformers Rise of the Beast. Uh, went to go watch this. Um, I went to go watch this in Dolby. Uh, and I've come to realize that I like Dolby more than IMAX. And, yeah, I don't know. For me, Dolby just, I, I like the feeling of the sound. You feel it rumble through you. It really kicks into your gut. Um, and I think it works perfectly for this movie, which is why I think I liked this movie a lot. Not a lot, but like, I think it's what carried this movie for me was the feeling of like, when those transformers hit the ground, when they smack into each other, when you feel them transforming, the theater rumbles and you feel like, Whoa, like I wonder what now I feel like I'm in the movie almost, you know? And when a lot of it is sound, the the very, you know, do, 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 kind of like, you know, sound that they make when they transform, a lot of that is just right there in your ear. And, and, if, and it, it's very captivating and it's very, like, attention-pulling into the movie. And it keeps you focused. Um, but the overall movie, though, uh, it was okay. Um, I thought it was fun characters uh we get an optimus prime back this is actually a prequel to um a lot of the other movies i haven't i can't say positively uh 
that I have seen everything past part two. The what is that? The Dark of the Moon, the last Shia LaBeouf movie. I think I might have seen the one where, um, what's his name? Mark Wahlberg was in it. I think there was there was that one. I remember seeing maybe a bit of it. Can't say that I saw the full thing. Um, but yeah, so I, I I can't really say that I've seen all of them, and I I think like oh this one is the best one, but I I can't say that for sure. But I mean, this movie does seem like it's doing a better job from those first two movies um, that had Michael Bay's fingers all over it. Um, this was not Michael Bay doing it, so he it's a totally different director, um, and so I, I I think he does a fantastic job. Uh. And uh, Anthony Ramos uh, as the main actor, and I forget the other girl's name. I feel bad. I'm sorry. Um, best known probably for Swarm was her biggest thing that she's put out um, this year on uh, on Amazon Prime. Um, yeah, both of them. They did a really fantastic job. I, I thought they were they were. They were good characters to have. You always have to have some kind of human character that kind of guides the Transformers. It's just like a given. You know, you have to have them in there. And um, I think for, for for kind of plug-and-play characters, or for human characters at least in these movies, they do a fantastic job. I, I never felt that they were never, they were like in the way, or and I never felt that they were just like, a pain in the ass to have around, you know, um, or they were useless. I never felt that they were ever useless. They, they very much clearly cut and dry go like, you know, here's why he's here. Here's why she's there. Utilize it in the third act. And I think they utilize them pretty, pretty okay. Um, the main reason for why all the transformers are bumping up against each other and, and getting, getting hostile with each other uh, it's it's a MacGuffin character, uh, MacGuffin, you know, thingamajig. Uh, I I honestly forget what it's called. It's not the AllSpark anymore. It's it's some kind of key, the Mega Warp key or something like that. Um, I don't know if that has any kind of tie into like the actual cartoons or something like that. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so so this thing is the most MacGuffiny MacGuffin that has ever MacGuffined in one of these movies. Um. And there's a there's a lot to it. There's a lot to it that 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 gets heavily explained and heavily plot driven, or not plot driven, but like heavily just like explained to you. And you know, exclamation or ex ex ex. I don't know the word I'm trying to find out. But anyways, I thought it was just okay. Um, the beast part of it, the 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 beast. Um, I forget what they're called. Um, Beast Transformers, I don't know, Animal Transformers, I forget what they're called. Uh, because they're not Autobots, they're something else. Um, we're cool. I thought they were really cool. I was very surprised to hear um, uh, Michelle Yeoh in, in, in this movie. Uh, hearing Pete Davison in this movie was actually pretty fun. Like, he does a really fun character in this movie. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm pretty pretty impressed with how long the series has been going on and that it doesn't feel like it's losing any steam but i wonder how many people are actually paying attention um 
but overall, I, I very much enjoyed it. And honestly, I'm kind of in a situation where, like, whatever they had promised in this movie, um, at least at the end, you know, when there was like, is there a next one coming? Ooh, this is what's coming. Um, what they offered actually is, got my attention. It has my attention. Um, I don't want to spoil it here, but if you want, go look it up. Or if you've seen it and you know what I'm talking about, the end is very important. There's a mid credit scene. Or no, and just the end scene. Uh, that's where you find out this big, this big, you know, expectation or this big, you know, plan for the future of this franchise and a possible another franchise uh, joining forces and 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 you know making something big. Um, I'm actually kind of excited for it. I, I wouldn't be opposed to go watch it. So that's that. One. Uh, what else have I watched? I watched the Blackening. Um, the Blackening is one hell of a movie. <laughs> um, it is a parody. Uh, I guess you could call it a black exploitation film, but I don't know if it would be considered that as well. Um, it is a parody slash horror movie that is very aware, self-aware, but at the same time still follows some rules. Um is it the best horror parody movie? I don't know. I, I would still say that kind of goes to scream, not scream, uh, scary movie. I think scary movie still kind of holds that title, but uh, this one is doing something smarter. And I think that's kind of what sets it apart. And, and what that smart thing is, is it's managing to uh, uh, criticize and critique the community that it's it's portraying, for one, uh, how you know black actors and black characters in horror movies are very either stereotypical or they're very uh, utilized in in like oh the black character dies first and poking fun at that and managing to to almost kind of make you think and laugh at the same time. Um. I thought that that was pretty amazing. Um, I walked into it thinking this is a fun idea, uh, but I think it's going to crash and burn uh, in execution wise. And uh, I thought it, it it somehow reached a standard, reached an expectation, or like surpassed an expectation because I just wasn't prepared for it to go there. And so um, I would say, hands down, go check it out. I think it's worth a viewing. Um, it's funny. For starters, um, it's it's playful in a way that's kind of like I don't know if I'm allowed to laugh at this, but at the same time, you kind of can't help but laugh, and you don't ever feel like you're on the opposite side of that joke. Um, I liked it. I thought it was a really fantastic movie. Um, I would say go watch it. Definitely go watch it. Um. Last two things that I watched, I watched Past Lives. Um, I've been waiting for this movie to come out, and I finally have seen it. Um, and I f- fucking enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, Past Lives is uh, is a A twenty four film. I forget who directed it, and for them, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go try to find them. Um, past. Um, Celine Song 
uh, is a uh, director and writer of 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 the movie, starring uh, Greta Lee, uh, Toyo, and J- uh, John Margaro. Um, this movie kind of hits in a way that feels true. It it, it feels absolutely true. It, it when when you think it's going to zig and very melodrama or or just you know plain movie drama it zags into almost a very healthy but yet ponderous you know mentality of it all like you know uh, the for those that don't know what this movie's about um Nora played by Greta Lee uh was friends with this boy that she knew back in Back in Korea when she was younger. And around 12 years old, she moves to Canada. She immigrates over with her family. And they basically lose touch. And after another 12 years have passed, she is now living in New York City. uh, Kind of um, just kind of, you know, doing her own thing. She's a playwright and she is, you know, living her best life out there in New York City. And uh, it's around the time this movie is set around a time when like Facebook has just popped up, and so everyone's kind of excited. Oh, let me look up my friends, and who else should I think of, you know, following and looking up and seeing if they're still around. Um, and so she looks up this old friend of hers, uh, who is now played by uh, Toyo. I think that's how you say his name. I apologize. Um, Taoyo, I think it's Taoyo. My bad. Um. Who's played by Yo and 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 she looks him up and it turns out he's been looking for her. And um they kind of start getting back together and they're starting to talk over a Zoom and, and, and or FaceTime, whatever it is. And it's them kind of rekindling that old relationship. And when they were younger, they very much were interested in each other. And that spark kind of comes back. And, you know, it's a very, very strong idea of, you know, I am, I am here in, I am, I, I, as, as an immigrant, I am here in this city that I am trying to live my life. There is a past that I have not ran away from, but I have left behind. And this feeling of like, I'm getting sucked back into that past or, or into that old life of mine and not focusing on what I am doing now and, you know, improving myself is, 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 is kind of wavering and it's, it's, it's kind of in a balance and it's off balanced. Um, and so they, they, they decide to pick up 12 years again later, um, when he decides to come out to New York city. And at this point she is married uh, to to Josh uh, uh, Margaro, and 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 that's where really the f- second half of this movie is all about is them kind of experiencing each other again after so much time has passed, and the feeling of like the the I guess love triangle, the will they won't they kind of kind of starts seeping into the movie. But the movie doesn't allow itself to go there. But it does understand that those feelings and those 
predicaments that people will find themselves in in relationships are true you know and and i think it it, it manages to tell that story and tell it in such an honesty in such a reality that i never felt that like oh this movie is going to get predictable it almost like i said it zigs when you think it's going to zag and when it does you're kind of grateful for it and you're very like oh that was such a breath of fresh air what are they going to do now you know and and i thought this movie was fantastic um i would say if you have the opportunity to go watch it do it um if you've experienced hurt if you've experienced like you know wavery and, and relationship troubles Go watch this movie because I think if anything, it if it doesn't make you reflect on yourselves, it, it at least gives you hope that I can maybe make it through. And I think it's definitely worth a watch. I, I would say definitely go check this movie out because it was fantastic. Um, last bit of news, or last bit of thing that I've watched, um, Fat Man Beyond. <laughs> uh, Kevin Smith's Fat Man Beyond. I watched it live over in Hollywood in, in the Scum and Villainy Cantina. Um, I included this because some of our our news has a little bit to do with what uh, with what I uh, heard at this uh, show at Fat Man Beyond. Um, so yeah, so I went to go watch that. Fantastic, one of the best episodes that I've ever seen. Uh, I've only seen two. So, you know, not that high of a bar to, to beat. But I've heard many, and I think this was one of the best. Um, but let's jump into it, huh? Let's jump into some news. All right. Um, so the reason why I comp- uh, had that Fat Man Beyond at the end, because um, it, it kind of bleeds into uh, this part uh, while they were talking about the Flash in Fat Man Beyond. Um there was a possibility of a Batman Beyond, and uh, Kevin Smith has very much stated that um, with Michael Keaton being in the new Flash movie, um, and whether or not the Flash movie was going to do as well as possibly the Batman, um, Matt Reeves is the Batman. Uh, there was a possibility of a Batman Beyond starring. Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton, my bad. And because of it doing so poor, and I believe, at least opening weekend, I don't know how much it is now, um, how well it's doing now, but from my understanding is that it had less of a better opening than um, Black Adam. So not good. And from my understanding, that means everything that was planned for a Batman Beyond is now put on ice, if not completely discarded. Um, And that's a shame, because I think if anybody was asking for anything out of this movie was a Batman Beyond movie uh, with Michael Keaton as the older Batman. Um, And so, yeah, so Kevin Smith had made uh, reference to that, that that was going to be coming. And now it doesn't look like it is. And so that sucks. Because <laughs> I really wanted it. I think a lot of us really, really wanted a Batman Beyond, especially with Michael Keaton. And uh, it, I guess it's not going to be coming around. 
jumping into some more DC news, um, Jensen Ackles has been confirmed uh, confirmed um, that he has that he would be thrilled to play Batman in James's Guns uh, DCU. Uh, I know a lot of people have been asking for this. Um, a lot of people have been fan casting, and a lot of people have been speculating, and a lot of people have been putting it out there. Um, uh, uh, have been um, manifesting, if you will, uh, Jensen Ackles as Batman, and um, he's I think heard. He's heard your guys's cries, and uh, he's actually willing to suit up. And uh, I think that's awesome. Uh, will he be the new Batman? I don't know. I th- I think they want to maybe go with something a little younger. But I can't say that for sure. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, would, I wouldn't be so opposed to it. Um, I think he has the right... If they wanted to go with such an older, you know, Batman character, I think he is perfectly the right age... For a for a for a middle age, I would say middle age, early early to middle age, um, Bruce Wayne. I think I think he met he can manage to carry that character. Um, when it comes to like Batman himself, I I don't think there's really much to it. Um, I think he's played rough and tumbled characters. He's he has donned a cape or a suit like character. Uh, superhero character in the boys and I don't watch the boys but from what I heard he doesn't do a bad job um, and so I think to put him in a Batman suit it wouldn't be all that much of a shock to the system for him or a lot of people you know for that matter seeing him as that character um, but I think for me right now for, for, for a lot of Batmans is can you get the Bruce Wayne character because I think everyone has kind of an understanding of what they want to see as Batman, and a lot of actors have their own take as Batman. But do you have an understanding of who Bruce Wayne is? And I think for me, Chenson Knuckles possibly has something up his sleeve when it comes to Bruce Wayne. And so, uh, whether or not he gets picked or not, I will be happy with it if they do. If they if they choose him, I'm all for it. Let's do it. He's got a good chin. Sometimes that's all you need for a good Batman. It's a good chin. Um, and he's got a good rough, uh, roughly voice, as we heard many for many seasons in uh, Supernatural. So um, I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm down for it. Um, other uh, DC news. Uh, Gal Gadot has been talking to Warner Brothers uh, about her, her future as Wonder Woman. Uh, saying that things are in the work. And what does that mean? Does she return as Wonder Woman? We don't know. Um, hopefully this is not a spoiler anymore, but she has been in... She was in the new Flash movie, and um, I think, from my understanding, they were kind of very much up to the idea of, like, anybody that is in the Flash movie... And kind of seems like they kind of made it through without, you know, saying like, you know, hey, like they changed or they, they're a different character now as the way it maybe feels like they're doing with Ben Affleck, who is now kind of being taken over by Michael Keaton 
kind of, you know, that move and we don't really see Ben Affleck anymore, at least in the in the DCMU movies. Um Wonder Woman is or Gal Gadot was one of those characters that I never felt like they said for sure she is out of this world now. Um so yeah, so whether or not a third Wonder Woman is coming, we don't know. Um I think she does a fantastic job. I think she is probably one of the more stronger characters that I think are have a lot to, to offer and I think have I think she would be a very important integral part of a of a Justice League that is maybe mixed aged. Um I think it would be useful to have a much older woman, Wonder Woman and a much um and a more, you know, seasoned character that has already been in this world for a lot longer than some of the other new actors that we're going to be getting. So I, I'm I'm okay with Wonder Woman coming back. I'm actually really excited if Gal Gadot continues. Um, I think she she was a fantastic Wonder Woman. I I never rubbed up against anything other than maybe the second movie. I never I didn't really like it, but that was not her fault. Um, that was many other things. And so um, if she returns, I'm I'm for it. I'm for it. Uh, one person that we are probably going to be getting a return for, but we don't know. Still speculation. Uh, Sasha Kelly, who played uh, Supergirl in The Flash, uh, has met with Warner Brothers about Supergirl returning. This is what I'm here for. This is what I'm here for. Um, if there was anything that I left The Flash um, feeling anything strongly about, it is uh, Sasha Kelly's performance as Superwoman. Um, and as... Her as an actor, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Um, yeah, yeah. Just I, I, you know what? At this point, I don't even want a new Superman. I just want more of her. Um, and I will honestly, I, I, I will go to war for Warner, on Warner Brothers if we don't get more of her. Um, yeah, she's okay in my book, and I, and I'll, I'll fight for her. Um. One thing that is, oh, so we're jumping over to some Marvel news. Um, let's see how many more information. We got two more, two more stories. Uh, Sony has removed Bad Bunny's Spider-Man spinoff, El Muerto, from the calendar. Um, yeah, I don't know what was going to happen with this movie. Um, we just recently received a trailer for Craven the Hunter. And I am not too much of a Craven the Hunter character, uh, you know, well of knowledge. But from my understanding is what they're depicting may not be the character that everyone knows. Or I could be completely wrong. You know what? I could also be completely wrong and y'all can tell me to go shut the fuck up. Um, but the one thing I do know is I knew less of the character El Muerto. And... I don't know why they're deciding to just cut it, um, but it is. Um, and yeah, <laughs> I, I can't say for, for what else is happening with that. Um, it seems like it's just not going to either happen, or maybe they're just going to be bumping it off the calendar for a while now. Uh, maybe it's no longer going to be hitting in the 2024 time slot. Maybe they're pushing it back even further. But 
who knows, you know, what's going to happen. Um, I don't, I don't think that it, I have a weird feeling that it might not work out, but at the same time, I don't know. Uh, we can only wait and see. Uh, last bit of news we have is Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling to star in a Ocean's Eleven prequel that is set in 1962. Um, big fan, both me and Hoover, probably Hoover more so of the Ocean's franchise, um, especially that first movie. Um, and yeah, and so we're getting more of it, and I'm kind of cool with that. Uh, a 1960s oceans movie um i wonder hold on hold on a minute wait a minute hold up um let me see here oceans oceans yeah the original was set in the 1960s so i wonder if i wonder if maybe instead of it being a no, prequel. It says prequel, so it, it is a part of the new franchise, the new Soderbergh franchise, um, Oceans movies. I thought maybe it was a possibility that they were just going to do a reboot of the original 1960s starring Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin. Um, no, it doesn't seem that that's what they're doing. It's a completely different set of characters, or at least a continuation off of the franchise that we know um, with Brad Pitt and George Clooney. Um, but yeah, I'm cool with it. I, I want to see what they do. I think somehow if they can manage to keep the snappy dialogue and the, the very quick pace style of, of character development and storytelling that the first, those first movies have, but bring it back and almost kind of homage, maybe the sixties movie. Um, I think you have a really good chance of it being stellar. Um, not a lot of people like that new Ocean's 8 movie. I have no opinion on it. I never saw it. Um, and not a lot of people like the way the the Ocean's movies starring George Clooney kind of went, especially around that third one. Um, so, yeah, so I think, you know, throw another one on, on the grill and see what happens. I think you have nothing else but to go up. Especially with those two characters. Um, the Barbie characters. Uh, <laughs> what if that's what it is? It just turns out to be fucking Barbie 2, but it's all Oceans. It's a crossover event with Oceans movies. Um, Barbie Spies with Ken. Um, but yeah, so that is it. That is all the news that I have. Are we ready to jump into Asteroid City? Let's do it. Yes? Fantastic. All right. Um, as usual, we're going to be jumping into that. Uh, we like to do a um, a spoiler-free thoughts. Uh, that's where you could hear everything you want to hear and not have to worry about getting it spoiled. Um, and then there's going to be a spoiler talk uh, on the back end of this episode. And at that point, we'll do a little countdown. And uh, at that point, you guys could jump on out of here. Go watch the movie. Come back and hear the rest of it. Um, but let's jump into it, yes? Uh, spoiler-free thoughts. Let's do it. What did I think about this movie? I have mixed feelings about this movie. 
best way I could probably describe it is mixed feelings. Um, there's a part of me that feels, you know, okay, Wes Anderson as a director, um, and as a writer, um, has kind of moved in from different stages of his filmography. Um, the you know when you go back to looking at some of his older stuff, when especially around that Royal Tenenbaums era, you kind of notice that he was very interested in in a a jaded main character and how that main character affected the world around him. And it kind of was an interesting take on like a very because he 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 it was an interesting take on like almost like a fairy tale, um, and it it really kind of captured a lot of people's attention when when he first came out with those first set of movies, uh, Royal Tenenbaums and and oh my gosh, well now I'm blanking out on all of his filmography, um. Let me see here. Uh, da, 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 director. Okay, so we have how I many? Where's the movies? Royal Tenenbaum, Life Aquatic, and The Darjeeling Limited. Those first three movies are very much in that nature of, you know, let's take these not so good characters. And explore them. Let's see if we can make you care for those characters. And I always thought that, that was such an interesting take on on how he wants to tell a story. And you know, he had his very, very, very um, particular style of of filming. You know, the the overall uh, symmetry in his framing. The specific colors, the specific, the very specific uh, look that he tries to achieve—it's it, all there still from the beginning. But it's more so on these characters and wondering exactly how does this dysfunctional person or dysfunctional people work in this world, and how does he tell that story? And very much a contrast to how those characters are versus how they're being seen by the audience in this square of a TV that we're watching them through. And that was very interesting. And then and then there was a very much switch into a storybook like style that he had um with Fantastic Mr. Fox, Moonrise Kingdom, and especially the Grand Budapest Hotel. Um the look that we already know Wes Anderson for I think gets cranked up to around 11 at this point. And it still, yes, balances a very good character versus um, style and, and, and nothing feels like it's being, you know, one doesn't feel like it's being sacrificed in order for the other to, to be emphasized. And I think it was a nice little balance and I think some of his best work is in there. The the Fantastic Mr. Fox is probably one of our favorites here at Cinema Buns. And I personally very much like Grand Budapest Hotel. I, I think they are both um, a perfect example of how 
his style and how he tells a story could work in tandem and 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 breathe life into a cinema that we have yet that others have yet to perfect in 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 their own way a, this this very living breathing fairy tale like character like style um and i very much like those those kind of movies that he's telling and again you know there's there's these layers in there that are that you will see in this movie are, are in Asteroid City are are still very much there. The multi-layer storytelling of this is a book, and that book is about a character who is listening to the story that we are now really involved in. You know that almost Inception-like layers of storytelling. You know we we we've had that from for for a while now in his movies. I believe Royal Tenenbaums is set up like that where. It is the book. You're, you're being told. Oh, how does it go? I think. Yeah, I think. I think you're being told the book who someone wrote, and that is the book of the Royal Times. I forget. I can't remember. Um, point being, though, some of those 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 character or those those storytelling devices are in his movies, regardless. Um, but it's not until you get to the French Dispatch. And now Asteroid City, where those style of storytellings, those those tools and and ways of telling this kind of stories, um, I think grow past the importance of telling a good character story. Um. Asteroid City is a, for those that don't know what this movie is about, maybe you guys don't know who Wes Anderson is and you guys are a little confused as to, you know, what is this all about? You know, I came here to maybe hear a little bit about it and I'm getting this big old history lesson. Um, Asteroid City is basically a movie about a father who is grieving, dealing with the grief of his his late wife and has now traveled to asteroid city. Um, that is this very small little city that is being held that where a, 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 um, a, an award is being held there for his child, uh, for his oldest son. And his son is a genius and there is about four other kids there that are all geniuses, and they're all being honored in some way uh, for their contribution to science and 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 math or, or or however their fields are. And they're 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 thrown into this city, and as they're in this city, something happens where it almost puts everyone into a a a a um not confinement what's the word i'm thinking about um a quarantine it puts everyone into a quarantine and people start reflecting on their lives especially for this one person um for for our main character who played who's played by Jason Schwartzman um who's played by Jason Schwartzman and and it's it's a very interesting 
story about someone exploring grief, someone that is trying to explain that and be a father figure to his family, and everybody else's character kind of going through some realization. Um, especially um, Scarlett Johansson's character in this movie. And it it works, and I feel like it doesn't work. Um, and we'll get further into that in, in the spoilers. Um, but I think what I'm, what I'm, what I'm confused on, not confused on, but I, I've kind of rubbed up against is this feeling of this movie doesn't have anything to say. It has ideas, but it doesn't really know how to explain those ideas and make everything feel like it connects in a very either thought provoking or in a very aha-like mindset that can get everyone on board that, hey, we went through this, we watched this movie together, explain what did you guys, how did you guys feel about that? Or how did you guys feel about this? And this movie never really has those moments in the movie. It just kind of feels like things are happening and people are just here for it. And... You know, when when we watch the movie, and, and I, I don't really want to spoil it because it, it is kind of part of, a very integral part of the movie, but it, it follows along with that very leveled style of storytelling where, you know, this is based on this, and that is based on this, and this is the story that we're following. You know, that Wes Anderson-like storytelling device. Um, but I have a fe- but there's a part of me that feels like in doing so that it gets kind of in the way of how to convey these characters on a personal level for the audience to watch, for the audience to um, want to see what happens to them, honestly wants to, how well the audience, um, you know, reflects on these characters or puts themselves in those characters' shoes to empathize and to sympathize with them, his layering of storytelling and the constant flow of in and out of those layers almost makes you feel a little bit like there is no weight to the actual story we want to tell. And at this point, why bother telling this story? Um... Yeah, I, 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 I kind of was hoping that this movie was going to be amazing, and maybe that's my fault for putting that too much expectation on it. Um, but I was really hoping. I, I, I like Wes Anderson. I very much do. Um, I have not yet seen all of French Dispatch, but I know its style of storytelling is something that I kind of started feeling. The, the way he was telling... The way I'm feeling about this movie is how I kind of started feeling a little bit of the first half of, of French Dispatch when I watched it. Um, but that one's layering of story and the multiple stories are all different in a way that to compare to this movie. And so 
I don't know. I I am I am a little interested in does Wes Anderson have nothing not nothing to say anymore and is relying on all visual to tell his stories as crazy as they can be or as maybe aimless as they can be and that's okay. Sometimes you know what? Art is art and you're not going to really understand some of it and some t- who knows? Everybody that watched it in this movie theater probably saw it and went, hey, like I like this because of this. I like it because of that. And maybe that's what it is. It's abstract style filmmaking. And if you if you like a certain part of it, then you're getting everything you need out of this movie. It's just for me, when I was going into it, I was kind of hoping for quirky characters, but with a very heavy exploration either in psychology or or you know, character development or, or just anything that Wes Anderson has not been afraid of tackling in his past movies. Um, and I don't think I really got that. And if we did get that, I, for some, for, for me at least, I found it very superficial. Um, it doesn't mean I didn't like this movie. I do like it. I, I just, I didn't like it in the way I was hoping to like it. And for me, that is not a disappointment, but a bit of a letdown. So, yeah. That's my thoughts on on a very non-spoiler. I think, if anything, I I think the acting is fantastic. Um, Jason Schwartzman, who plays the main actor, um, um, I forget his name in the movie. I'll get it right here. Um, who plays Augie, uh, Augie Stan, uh, Steinbeck, um, is fantastic. He, I, there's a part of me that, that has seen a lot of, you know, Jason Schwartzman in, in many characters. And I just, I, I think there, there's, there's a way I see him in, especially in Wes Anderson movies that, was completely changed for this character. I I don't I didn't recognize Jason Schwartzman as the way I think I would recognize him in a lot of his other movies or especially in other Wes Anderson movies. Um so I think that was awesome. I think that was a breath of fresh air for his acting and his performance. Um he kind of plays a much darker character, a little bit more in his head, and and he has a lot of interesting characters that I uh, interesting characteristics and interesting background and story there that I thought we could explore more into. Um, that I was kind of hoping for, and 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 we'll get into that in spoilers. Uh, Scarlett Johansson's character, um, I forget her name in the movie. Um, Mitch Campbell. Um, who is playing an actress in the movie? Um, also, I think was very interesting. Her her exploration as to why she is taking up some of these characters that she's very well known for, um, and the problems with, I guess you could say, maybe you know pigeonholing yourself or or the the industry kind of casting you because that's just how we see you you know the uh, what is it the typecast of it all um 
And what does that explain? What does that mean to her? And what does that what does that say about her as a person? Like, there's some interesting things there that that this that her character is, is exploring. Um, and then you just got the rest of the cast. This 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 big old giant ensemble cast that takes a while for it to everybody to be listed. Um, so much so that they kind of sped through a lot of their the names. Um is 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 a very big feat and and i think he does he do it correctly does he pull it off yes and no yes and no i I think everybody does get an opportunity to shine but not everybody is being utilized to their best degree um and when you have so many great actors here it it does kind of you do kind of feel it you know you do kind of feel the the um, the lack of utilization, the perfection of utilization on these characters. Um, so yeah, so I, I I would say go check it out and see what you think for yourself. Um, it has been I think it's got a pretty decent rating at seven point one on IMDb. Um, let me see here. If uh, we'll see what the tomatoes that are rotten. Uh, asteroid. How do we spell it wrong? Uh, reviews. Let's see here. We got the tomatoes that are rotten. Tomato meter. It's saying it's a seventy-six, uh, and an audience score. Uh, it's a sixty-two. So it's it's got decent ratings. It's got decent ratings. And I think it's it's definitely worth a time to check out. I think I think it's definitely one of those movies where if you don't check it out, you might just be overswept with everybody else's opinions, and you might not go get around to checking it out ever. Um, so take the opportunity to go check it out now when when everybody's still developing their own, because it, it, I think it could be a very much of a a split decision between some of the people that are fans of Wes Anderson and newcomers to Wes Anderson. Um, This movie might split them down the middle. So I would say definitely go check it out. Get your two cents in there before the pot's too full. I don't know what that means. We're going to jump into spoilers now. So let's get started. Oh, you know what? Let me me rate it. Um, I am going to give... Um, Asteroid City, I'm going to give it a solid, I'm going to give it a solid B. I'm going to give it a B. I would want to say B minus, but I don't think it deserves that. I'm going to give it a solid B. So yeah, so Asteroid City, B, good on you. Um, let's jump into spoilers, shall we? Uh, so this is the part of the show where you might want to tuck out or maybe cover your ears or if you've seen it or you don't care, just stick around because we're going to spoil the shit out of this movie. Um, so let's get started and with a countdown in three, two, one, you have been warned. We're in spoilers now. Um, the big spoiler that I didn't want to ruin, um, but I don't know how much of it of it is a spoiler. It kind of was a big surprise for me. Is Asteroid City the movie that we are watching, or the characters that we are to, are are 
growing to care about um, is actually a play. And it's a play that is being in production as we speak. Or as you're watching it. Um, Anytime you see these actors in the city of Asteroid City, um, you're supposed to get the understanding that that is the play being in production on the stage right now. You're the audience watching that. And so when, when you move yourself out of the production of that, you understand that there is also this story of the writer of the production of Asteroid City. And so when you're constantly moving from, you know, like I said, you know, Wes Anderson has done this before, the multi-layer storytelling device, you know, where it's the book of the book of the movie of the, you know, what, you know, that kind of move. Uh, this movie does the same thing. Um, we are being told a, like a, almost like a kind of a review or maybe like a kind of a guidance or something of, of the writer. Like almost like, it, it almost feels like Brian Krasner who plays the host. That's who's basically narrating the entire movie whenever there is narration. Um, he is almost kind of doing a documentary style like um, host talking about the writer who was played by Edward Norton. And Edward Norton is the writer of Asteroid City, the show that we're watching. And so there are many times when this movie wants to go from let's talk about the writer and that's happening in reality. And it's very identifiable that it is reality because it's all shot in black and white. Everything that is reality is black and white. Whenever we get jumped into the play, Asteroid City, it's all vibrant colors. And it's a very distinctive, you know, that is that world, this is our world, however it plays. And then there's also the meta style of of Brian Cranston talking to the audience, um, to camera, as the world is continuing on, the, the real world of the writer and stuff. And so when we have that constant shift in world, in characters, in storytelling, after a while we start questioning why do I care too much for the characters in the actual play, you know? Um, why is it that, that I need to know that Jason Schwartzman's character, um, Augie is going to grow past or, or eventually grow to be okay with his wife's passing when, there is no consequences, nor is there any interest in when those characters don't exist, you know, and, and, you know, it's a movie. So not all these characters, none of these characters fucking exist, but that layer of saying constantly reminding us that these are actors and the characters that we should be invested in are just that they're characters so much. So where, Jason Schwartzman's actor in the movie uh, breaks and he 
literally walks offset into the world that we know that we're that the the real world and talks to the director played by Andrew Brody. Um, not Andrew Brody, um, Adam Brody. And it, it, it just kind of, it, it kind of throws this movie off a little bit. Just, just a smidge. It's already a, it's already a movie that is a little off kilter, um, just because it's a Wes Anderson movie, and that's how he likes to keep you. As as much as his, as much as his film is so symmetrical, his storytelling is just a little off. And I think that's always what would always feel so nice about a Wes Anderson movie, and that balance of those two, those are those two ideas. Um, but this movie, it, it's I think a little the storytelling is just a bent a little too off. For me, and and I've kind of come into this issue where, yeah, I, I ask, why do I care? Um, especially when it almost feels like the story of Asteroid City is still being written, and it's still being discovered as to, you know, what are the motives of these characters? What are the motives of this? What is the purpose of that? What are these? What are that? You know the things that you know as 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 a as a as a person that has been in a play and has seen plays go through the development stage from you know from you know script writing to performance and knowing how that still that process continues to grow until it's like we gotta you know cement it in and this is the play that everybody that wants to do this play has to provide has to do exactly this we almost kind of feel like the story that we're being invested in is still developing and the constant breaks of, of asking those questions of, you know, why does Augie choose to do this? Why does that a lot of people in this, a lot of the actors in this movie in, in the asteroid city, part of the movie don't feel like they have fully developed characters. And you kind of start asking why, why is it such a large cast and you're not really interested in doing a lot with them? Like, what is the purpose? Is it for just show? Do you have them here specifically just to say, hey, I have a big cast of all my friends, you know, everybody that wants to work with me? Because I don't really feel like Wes Anderson is doing anything with them. And then that's what I was saying that when you have such a big cast and you're not doing anything with them, you very much can feel when those characters aren't being developed, when you're when those characters aren't being either challenged or utilized to perpetuate the story, to 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 move the story along, to move, either help or you know go again or challenge our main character you know you never get those feelings you know and when you have you know people like jeffrey wright you have people like maya hawk uh rupert friend you have lee schweiber you have sophia lillis you have you know all these people you know that that are here to be in this movie you know steve carell Tony Rivalori, you have all these characters, but they're doing nothing other than just 
filling up space, it feels weird. And it feels a little bit like we don't need them. And so that's one of those things that I was kind of like, it was also the way I started feeling a little bit of, of the French dispatch. And I know that he, you know, Wes Anderson is a, is a director who likes to work with big crowds. Like, if you go back and watch, like, Royal Tenenbaums, there is a lot of actors in there who were either coming up or had just broken, you know, the onto the scene. And there's a lot of actors in there that are, like, really big-time actors now. But it never feel you know you never get the feeling that they're they're a waste of time they're a waste of space you know they're specifically there for reasons and it just so happened that they were all in this one movie and you know that movie either blew up and now we know them to be the famous actors they are or it's that they were coming up and he caught them just in the right time to put them all in together in this nice little you know little recipe um now it just feels a little bit like everybody knows that a wes anderson movie is fun to be in or or how that or how they want to be in that world and so he has this large cast of who's who but doesn't know what to do with them and i think that's one of the biggest issues that i found in this movie is that there's a lot here, but a lot is also not being utilized, and not a lot of it being known what to do with. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. There, there, there's, there's a lot to this movie that I didn't really care for, but there's a lot here that I did really like. Um, Jason Schwartzman character, like I said, he has a very interesting story about diving into grief and him exploring grief with his family you know he 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 has he as he's the character that has that is into photography and it almost feels like he's hiding behind this camera so that way he doesn't have to deal with the world around him and it's such an interesting perspective on, on a person who is a war photographer who sees death happen around him and is now having to experience it maybe for the first time personally. And how does he tell his kids? And it's to the point where he hasn't been able to tell his kids. His wife had passed, and three weeks later, he is now telling his kids that their mother is no longer here. And... Like, true fashion, Wes Anderson's style of character is very bleak and it's very, you know, monotone characters. And so, you know, you don't, these kids don't really react to their mother dying the way you would kind of expect them to. And so when you when you have that situation happen, it feels almost like, what was the point of the mom being dead in the first place? Because the characters don't really his his kids the younger kids are i think a little too young to be really challenging uh Jason Schwartzman's character in the sense of him dealing with his grief 
But at the same time, his older son is not really all that interested in dealing with his mother's passing as well, and especially challenging his father, who is basically lied to them for, for the past three weeks. And on top of that, we find out is trying to abandon them. Even though it was just a thought, he still admits that, you know, he was going to pass them off to his grand, their grandfather and maybe just dip for a little bit. And so, yeah, he's just dealing with it personally, but not directly. And so... <laughs> I, I like that. I wanted to see them explore more into Jason Schwartzman's character and, you know, what what is it that, he, where does his character need to go in order to get past the pain that is obviously he's going through with his wife's death. And when it comes to you know, when it comes to that, it's hard to dive further into it when they constantly, when they constantly are jumping out of that character to explain that these are just actors. These are just characters. They don't mean anything. We're still trying to figure out what they mean. And, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I wish I had. I wish I had someone here to maybe kind of bounce off ideas because I, I feel like there's going to be some people that are like, "This movie is fantastic." I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, Jonah. Um, but I I don't have anyone here to to bounce off ideas with, so I can't for I can't get a different perspective on it. I can see when some people might say, like, this is a really great movie because there's a lot to it that is really fun. Like, Maya Hawke's character, who is this um, Sunday school teacher character that is has brought these students of hers that are all, you know, no more than six years old um, to Asteroid City for this lesson in his in space. You know, she brought him out here as a field trip, and the thing that happens happens, and now they're kind of just stuck in this town. And you know, she's trying to, she's trying her hardest to explain to these kids, you know, what is happening, but at the same time, not really talk about what happened. Um, and I like that. I think there was there's an interesting question here that that is that is layered into this story about you know religion and science you know and the two budding of those two beliefs and those two understandings um there's a constant idea of like where is mom now like and and it's played for jokes but i think it's a very interesting idea that Jason Schwartzman's character immediately goes, you know, let's say she's in heaven. I don't believe in it, but you guys are Episcopalian, and so you guys kind of believe in heaven. So let's just say she's there. Or when his father died, his mom told him that, you know, his father's in the stars. And he immediately deflects that and, and rebuttals by saying, you know, no, because scientifically speaking, these are, this is how far the stars are. This is, you know, the science of it all and how it kind of negates the idea of this faith. 
Um, and so it, it has those hints, and especially when it comes down to Maya Hawk's character, who is, you know, constantly seen guiding these kids into prayer and belief, and yet at the same time they're here to learn about science. And it, and you know when the big reveal that an alien shows up and you know comes into this town it wobbles that belief system you know that that idea of religion especially for these kids when they're starting to question and you kind of see them pulling away from what they're really there for what Maya Hawk is there for and that is to teach them you know oh god and all that and them kind of be more interested in this alien whenever she's trying to teach him a lesson. And so there, there's an interesting topic there about that. Um, but like I said, they when they constantly re- repeat that, that these aren't real characters, I sound like a broken record. It asks me why. Why do I want to care? Um, and so... There's them, um, the Cowboys, the whole overall look of it. It's set in 1950, uh, I don't know when this is set. 1950 something, I forget, it's somewhere in the 50s. Um, and the overall look of this movie really is fantastic. There, There's this moment when Edward Norton, as the writer, is describing how, like, just the introduction to his play. He lists off the characters that we're going to be following. He lists off the props that we're going to be following. He's going to list off the scenery and what it looks like, the date and time. And then on top of that, he lists off how every scene should look. And it's a note to the writer or to, to the uh, uh, electricianist who, who would fix the lights for them that the sun is not a sun that is warm and it's not a sun that is bearing, like like overbearing. It's a sun that is just clean. And it's always going to be clean, you know? And that's how this movie, he like really somehow describes how this movie is supposed to look. And so when you jump right into what this movie looks like, it's exactly the way he describes it. And, and, and it kind of sucks you into the colorful world that, that Asteroid City is set in. And and it really is, it's, it's kind of one of the better things about this movie is how this movie looks. It looks fantastic. Um, there are many times when you're entering into the world of of Asteroid City where you're, the camera itself is a POV shot, and we're able to. He does a lot of spinning around, so that way you could take a very, you know, full on look of what this city looks like. And then he does a nice little pen or shots and stuff like that. That just makes you feel like you're walking along with them. Along with the characters and and following them along as they go about their day in this city. And I think that's awesome. that's, That's one of the better parts of this movie is getting to have those moments where you're just watching it. And if you have any interest as to like how a Wes Anderson movie is made and, and you know a lot of it could be done with miniatures, your eyes are especially open or and really trying to look for those, you know, where's the where's the seam? Where is the where is the um 
the miniature? Where is this? Where does that? You know, can I figure it out? Can I think it through? And 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 it's a real fun movie to just look at, and and it's a really fun to just experience that world. Um, and so I think if anything, I think a lot of people are going to watch this movie and enjoy it specifically for that reason. Um, it almost feels a little bit like. I kept getting the feeling of like Looney Tunes. Um, it doesn't help that the entire, like I said, the entire city is based in like this desert-like area, and so there's this one roadrunner, blue roadrunner, that is just running, just kind of like just scurries along the, every now and then along the plains, um, and along the streets, and he gives it the little, you know, meet me, and just kind of just takes off running around. And I don't, I mean, I can only guess that that is a nod to the idea of the Roadrunner from Looney Tunes. But it almost kind of gives the entire movie a feeling of like the Looney Tunes. You know, in, in some weird small way, it kind of gives it that feeling. Um, I wonder if maybe that is why that the idea of like, you know, this is the show... Outside the show, there's the real world kind of thing. Like, I wonder if it has anything to do with that idea of the Looney Tunes. Because, I mean, I think for the most part, I think the Looney Tunes were very self-referential. And we're very understanding that there's a, they're in a TV show. But I could be wrong. Maybe I'm just thinking about Space Jam. <laughs> Maybe this movie is just all about, it's, 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 it's taking notes from Space Jam. Um, because it also kind of follows along the same beats of real world and inside world. Um, but yeah, no, uh, there's uh, there's a handful of other characters in here. Uh, there's uh, Steve Carell who plays the kind of on-site manager of these little bungalow huts that are that are in the city uh, for people to stay at. Um. His character is very interesting. They don't dive too much into him, but he's just always there and always around. And I like him. He he he's just kind of he. I don't know how to explain his character. He just he's always there, and he whenever he's on screen, he never fails to make you just kind of like sideways smile, just kind of crack a little goofy smile because his character is so much fun. And, uh, and, you know, he's not a character that I think we're, we're necessarily needs to get into more of. But you can tell that there is more there that we can get into. And it almost like this movie almost kind of sets up different stories that you're kind of more interested in. Like, let's go learn about them. Let's go learn about these people over here. And, you know, let's go learn about those people over there. And, you know, we don't get too much into it. But they're there, and I think that's what kind of keeps the, you know, keeps you interested in wanting to know more. Uh, but, you know, how well, you know, oh, excuse me, I lost my thought, my train of thought. Um, yeah, so I, I, I mean, I, I like these characters. I thought they were really fun. Um, I, I, I wanted to, I just wanted to enjoy them a little bit more. Um, a little longer um, before we kind of kept getting told that they weren't real. They weren't real. 
Um, but yeah, uh, there's there's this big moment in the middle of the movie um, that kind of sets everybody off, and it's this alien that comes to Earth, and it I don't know why, but this movie kind of feels a little bit like this is what Wes Anderson looks like. Um, when he tries to do different genres, I don't know if you guys ever seen. There's that. There's this new like trend or whatever where it's like Wes Anderson doing Star Wars. It's what if Star Wars is a Wes Anderson movie, and a lot of it is being like ships on strings. You know, it's um. Princess Leia, but very, very symmetrical. Han Solo, very symmetrical, and it's just, and it's, and it's a very. It takes the elements of how you tell a Wes Anderson movie, and applies it to to a different genre. And in a way, this movie kind of, I don't know if it was supposed to be, but it almost kind of acts, if not feeds into those, you know, those those memes or those those little jokes on the internet about Wes Anderson. Um, it feeds into that a lot. And this is what that feels like. It's it's Wes what have what what does it look like when Wes Anderson does sci fi? It's this movie. You know? And I I, I like and I No, I like it. I, I don't know if I would say I don't like it, but I, I would say I liked it. Um, especially when the alien is this stop motion, almost clay animation character. And especially when you find out that, you know, in the movie it's, it's stop motion. It's obviously, you know, developed by computers and it's, and it's visual effects. Um, but when you find out when it takes a moment to step out of the world of, of, of asteroid city and you're seeing the production behind the scenes, you find out that the alien is being played by Jeff Goldblum, and it's such a passing character. He never says anything, except for the fact that you know it's Jeff Goldblum by just how he's muttering um, with the costume designer that's helping him kind of get out of his suit. Um, and it's just a passing moment of just, hey, look, there's Goldblum. And, and <laughs> I like that. I don't know why I very much liked it. Um, there's, there's also a very interesting story there where we could maybe, I would have also loved to explore, um, maybe in its own movie and its own story where, you know, Wes Anderson doing the behind the scenes theater of, of putting on a show, you know, seeing the writer go through what he does to get the production up you don't really notice what you don't really understand what the story is about, but you're more interested in the behind the scenes aspect of it. And that is a, is a, is a world that I would really like to see Wes Anderson explore. He does it a little bit in this movie and it's really, really fun. Um, especially when a lot of his movies looks like a play, they look like how, theater roughly is supposed to feel like his movies look like um and so when you have those moments where you know jason schwartzman steps out of the scene 
and goes into the behind the scenes moments, the backstage moments, and he's just walking across these flats and open doors, windows that are obviously not leading to anything. It's a lot of fun. And it's a lot of interesting world there as well. Um, and and I think it would have been more interesting to also explore that. And, and we don't. We don't get to explore that as much. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. I, I, I would say I'm going to give this movie... A good effort, thumbs up. I, mean, I gave it a B. I don't think I'm going to change my opinion on that. Um, I would be very much interested to hear what you know other people say about this movie, especially Hoover. I want to hear what Hoover has to say. Um, and I'd be interested in what you guys have to say. Um, so, you know, with that, I think I'm going to close this episode off. Because uh, I think I said what I needed to say about this movie. Um, so, yeah. So, thank you guys so much for listening. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, if you like what you heard, please consider telling a friend about our show and liking and reviewing. It all helps us grow and get more known by other other listeners such as yourselves. Uh, if you want to follow us on Instagram, we go at, uh, go to at cinema underscore buns. That's Z as the last letter of the alphabet. Um, with that, I am Jonah Colazzo, and this has been another episode of Cinema Buns for this week. We'll see you all next week. Bye.